listening to The Book Judge, a podcast about books that you should read if you're interested in business. I'm your host, Conrad Chua. This is your curated reading list that will give you a better grip on how to approach the complex issues that businesses face. Today's episode is an unusual choice. You won't find this in any business book section. Instead, it's a work of fiction by Philip Roth called The Plot Against America. It imagines a world where Franklin Delano Roosevelt loses the 1940 election to aviator hero Charles Lindbergh. It then looks at the lives of a Jewish family in New Jersey as Lindbergh's policies bring America closer to Nazi Germany. I'm recording this episode on the eve of the 2020 US presidential election, and there's no better reminder to everyone about the stakes involved in any elections anywhere in the world than this book by Philip Roth. I love the what-if of the alternative history genre. For some reason, most of the works in this genre that I like reimagine events in World War II. So, there's Philip K. Dick's Man in the High Castle, where Japan successfully invades the US. Or Len Dighton's SSGB, where Germany conquers the UK. And then there's my personal favourite, Jinro Wolf Brigade, a brilliant anime movie that imagines a Japan torn apart by riots at the end of, you've guessed it, a German occupation after World War II. Roth's book is different in that it does not show a German military triumph, but a more insidious victory that comes from a corruption of the American spirit. Roth wrote this book in 2004, but many of his themes are very relevant and prescient even today. The story is written from Roth's point of view as a boy growing up in a Jewish family in Newark, New Jersey. His father, Herman, works in a life insurance company, and the family has a comfortable, if not exactly middle-class existence. The story starts in the run-up to the 1940 US presidential elections, when Roosevelt is the overwhelming favourite having pulled the country out of the Great Depression. The Second World War is already raging in Europe and there are concerns in America about joining yet another war in a faraway land. Very soon, Roth's story diverges from historical fact when Charles Lindbergh, the famous aviator, joins the America First movement as its de facto leader. This is a movement that has under its umbrella isolationists, anti-Semites, the KKK, Nazi admirers, and the movement hijacks a Republican party that is desperate to stop Roosevelt from winning a third term. Lindbergh announces his candidacy at the very last moment and uses his media personality to ask the simple question, why should American soldiers die again in Europe? He wins the 1940 election by a landslide. At this time, Philip's cousin, Alvin, is disgusted by the anti-Semitic wave rising in America and joins the Canadian army to fight in Europe, only to return broken in body and spirit. Incidents of anti-Semitic behaviour against the Roths and their friends go unpunished. For example, the hotel they booked denies them a room while on holiday in D.C. President Lindbergh wastes no time in signing a non-aggression pact with Germany. He also starts 
the Office of American Absorption, or OAAA. The OAAA introduces a program to bring Jewish youths to rural America on the pretext of educating and integrating Jews to American society. Philip's older brother, Sandy, is selected and goes to Kentucky, where he proves himself to be an able farmhand. When he returns, he has nothing but scorn and contempt for his family, calling them ghetto Jews for the way they reject Limburg. The family is also threatened with relocation to the Midwest when the company that the father works for signs up for a government scheme to relocate Jewish employees out of predominantly Jewish communities. Roth's Aunt Evelyn also finds favour with President Lindbergh. She marries a prominent rabbi and becomes a frequent visitor and supporter of the Lindbergh White House. She and her husband are even invited to a White House dinner with the visiting German Foreign Minister Ribbentrop, where she speaks and might even have shared a dance with. I'm not going to give away any spoilers here, but suffice to say that things go from bad to worse for the Jews, like the Ross. A Jewish candidate for the 1944 elections is assassinated, and anti-Semitic riots break out across the U.S., you will have to read the book to see what happens to the U.S. and the Roths. This is the part of the podcast where I place the spotlight on one part of the book that you can use immediately in your business or in an interview or just to impress your business school friends. I call this the Did You Know section. The plot against America is a work of fiction, but it leans hard on many historical personalities. The edition of Roth's book that I have has a very useful section at the end that describes what these characters actually did. And for the most part, Roth does not stray too far from what these historical figures did or could have done in real life. I for one knew little about Lindbergh. I only knew that he was the first man to fly solo across the Atlantic and suffered a horrific personal tragedy when his baby child was kidnapped and later found dead. But I did not know that the real-life Lindbergh was an isolationist who supported the America First movement and made remarks that suggested he held anti-Semitic views. I don't know enough to form a view whether he was anti-Semitic, but Roth uses these historical strands and weaves them into a compelling narrative. What I found reading this book in 2020 so chilling was how Lindbergh makes these veiled comments about Jews, that every Jew knows is aimed at them, but Lindbergh could quite credibly say he never meant to be anti-Semitic. In a speech that Lindbergh actually made in his arguments against the US joining the war, he blames the Jewish race, a group that only comprises 3% of the population, for pushing the country to war for reasons that are not American. This type of comment is scary to me because that's exactly Donald Trump's MO. Say things that are clear to certain groups, but just vague enough that he can disclaim responsibility later on. And I have to admit that I did not know that Henry Ford, yes, that Henry Ford that we read about in business books, ran for politics 
and held anti-Semitic views. He blamed German Jewish bankers for starting the First World War and blamed Jews for his Senate race loss. And the list goes on. There are all these prominent American businessmen and politicians who supported the Nazis or were openly anti-Jewish. What struck me again was how several of these people came to espouse these views when they started off as anti-communists. To this group, having anti-Semitic views was a justifiable step in the process to stop the Soviet Union and communism. I wonder what these characters in real life felt in the years after the end of the Second World War when the Nazi atrocities became clear. Did they realize that the moral compromises that they had made were not justified? Or did they make an unholy peace with themselves? I think about this because it's clear that many voters and politicians in the Republican Party have turned their back on long-held positions in the pursuit of certain goals, whether that be lowering taxes, repealing Obamacare, or confirming conservative judges. The history of this time has yet to be rewritten, but only time will tell if these Republicans are forced to confront the choices they have made. I'm not recommending Plot Against America just because this is the eve of the 2020 US presidential elections. But it is a good reminder that individuals have to exercise their right to vote responsibly because the repercussions can be huge. Much has been said by past presidents about how the office of the president really does not have much power outside foreign policy. But events in the last four years have shown a different picture. They've shown the fragility of the democratic process and how a president can unwind many of the unspoken democratic compromises to suppress the rights of a wide swathe of minorities. Business too has a responsibility in the democratic process. Lobbying for certain government positions is unavoidable, but the problem arises when businesses become single-issue constituents. Supporting a candidate who promises to deliver on a very narrow range of issues while ignoring anything else that candidate might do. So just this week, I read an article in the Financial Times how US corporates were cutting bait on Donald Trump because he had delivered the tax breaks they wanted and now they did not have to hold their nose and kowtow to him. This is the type of behavior that erodes the trust in businesses and the democratic process that's really the foundation for any strong economy. I'm not an American, but I've always admired America for its great accomplishments, the people's can-do attitude, and their amazing openness to people around the world. Growing up in Singapore, I saw firsthand the benefits of having a strong America committed to peace and economic development across the world. I understand this is a skewed view. America has not been a benevolent presence to everyone in the world. And there are many serious problems that America is facing domestically. I can also see why Americans want to vote for a president who put their interests first. But my sincere hope is that every American exercises his or her right 
to vote in a responsible manner. And America shows the world again the way forward in how the democratic process can adapt and thrive. And this is not just an American issue. I'm living in the UK where just this week the Equality and Human Rights Commission found the Labour Party leadership responsible when reports of anti-Semitic behaviour in the party were ignored. I've not had time to read the report, but you know my views by now. You just can't give oxygen to political or business leaders who give even a whiff of tolerance to racist views. That's all for this episode of The Book Church. You can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And that now includes Amazon Music. So, if you have an Alexa, you can listen to this podcast with your smart speaker. And while you're there, leave a rating. It helps others discover the show. If you have comments, you can tweet me at Conrad Chua 16 Chua is spelled C-H-U-A, or DM me on Instagram. I am Chua K-H there, spelled C-H-U-A-K-H. Till next time, this is your book judge, Conrad Chua.